annual, uh, first virtual analyst day. Uh, I'd like to remind everyone this call is going to be recorded, and at this time, I'd like to hand it over to Tom McCallum, Head of Investor Relations. Thank you, Matt. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the our analyst day at Zoomtopia. We appreciate everyone joining us today for this virtual event hosted on Zoom technology. Let me do a few quick housekeeping items. First, our agenda. Kelly Steckelberg, Zoom CFO, will discuss how Zoom's platform has changed the way people connect and work and the impact to our growth strategy. Then we will have an update from Zoom Phone and Zoom Rooms from Graham Geddes. Following Graham, we are honored to have Ryan Azus, our CRO, host two guests for a fireside chat. Jill Porbavik, SVP of Technical Workforce at Discovery, Inc., and Kevin Atkin, Director of IT at Gilead. After the chat, Eric Yuan, Zoom's founder and CEO, will join Kelly and Ryan for a Q&A session. So we have a full schedule. Um, we're planning on ending at 1 p.m. Pacific, so you all can enjoy the rest of Zoomtopia. We will be presenting um, non-GAAP financial metrics, so please see the reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP metrics in the back of the presentation, which is available on zoom.us on the IR site and the events section. During this webinar, we will make forward-looking statements about our market size, growth strategy, our estimated and projected costs, margins, revenue, expenditures, investments, and growth rates, our future financial performance, and other future events or trends, including a long-term framework, product roadmaps, our plans and objectives for future operations, growth initiatives or strategy, and the impact of, on our business from the COVID-19 pandemic. These statements are only predictions that are based on what we believe today, and actual results may differ materially. These forward-looking statements are subject to the risks and other factors that could affect our performance and financial results which we discuss in detail in our latest 10Q filing with the SEC. Zoom assumes no obligation to update any forward-looking statements we may make on today's webinar. And with that, let me turn the discussion over to Kelly. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us today. We're excited to have you here at our first fully virtual analyst day. A lot has changed since we were here together a year ago. Today, the future is here with the rise of remote and digital work trends. I love these words from Mark Benioff, Salesforce's CEO, who is obviously a leader and visionary in the industry. Thank you. There we go. Per Mark, we're in a new digital world and in all digital worlds. The past is gone. It is not coming back. We need to rebuild our companies our organizations, and ultimately, we need to rebuild ourselves to be successful in this new digital future. Zoom is not the future. Zoom is the present. This is our present reality. Like Zoom, Mark is recognizing that behaviors and norms have changed, and we are all quickly adapting to a new reality as to how work gets done. This is not the work of the future. It is the present. Work Anywhere has accelerated and expanded from organizations doing business continuity planning to embracing the new normal of employees working and thriving in a distributed manner. While many offices will reopen post-pandemic, we will never go back to the way we worked before. When we served our own employees, only 4% said they want to come back to the office full-time. 
A recent analyst report from a leading bank estimates that the number of full workdays performed at home will triple in the post-pandemic economy. Flexibility will be the hallmark of being an employer of choice. Going to school this year has also been very different as learning from anywhere has become a critical part of academic programming. As many schools cannot currently hold physical in-person classes, Zoom is connecting and enabling virtual learning for millions of teachers and students around the globe. Personal and social lives are changing too. While physical gathering is not possible, we have virtual happy hours, bar mitzvahs, weddings. Zoom has become a necessary platform for countless individuals to be connected anywhere and everywhere in the world. It's been amazing to see how in just the last few months, we've had the Emmy Awards, Oprah's Life and Wellness Series, and the Golden Girls recreation in the Where It Happened series, all via Zoom. We've also had a virtual film festival in Cannes and the F1 virtual paddock experience, also via Zoom. As the world is changing, Zoom is privileged to be a driving force, enabling connection and collaboration worldwide with our high-quality, frictionless, and secure communications platform. As Eric outlined this morning during his keynote, we envision the future of work to be a hybrid workplace combining the best experience for both in-person and virtual connections. Whether employees choose to work from home or in the office, Zoom has developed a new and exciting product enhancements and offerings to provide a safe, secure, and inclusive experience. In the office, our new Zoom room and office features support safety and social distance guidelines with touchless voice commands and virtual reception. We are also rolling out our new Zoom room smart gallery for better interactions between in-office and remote participants. This will help with the democratization of participation that we have all seen over the last several months as we've been working in a distributed fashion. To enable a more inclusive experience among participants for specific events, we're introducing shared meeting wallpapers and immersive scenes with custom themes and layouts. And of course, for the remote workers, we have Zoom for Home to maximize the home office environment with Zoom software and partner hardware from D10 Neat, Amazon Echo Show, and Nest Hub Max. Now let me discuss how this significant change has positively impacted our business. Operationally, Zoom has scaled our platform to meet the increased demands resulting from the shift to work anywhere, learn anywhere, and connect anywhere trends. We have seen a dramatic change over the last few quarters. The initial step function increase at the start of the pandemic the slight downward seasonal fluctuation during the summer, then the resurgence of meeting minutes reaching a run rate of 3.3 trillion in September as schools have reopened with virtual classes and distance learning. Just a quick note that annualized meeting minute run rate is an operational metric and does not necessarily correlate to revenue or bookings. As we have discussed in the past, the pandemic has impacted our gross margins as we are experiencing a higher percentage of free users and the increased utilization of public cloud. With the uncertainty of the pandemic, it is unclear how long this impact on our gross margin will last. The incredible increase in demand and the strong execution from our Zoom employees has led to remarkable results so far this year. 
we had 355% year-over-year revenue growth in Q2, resulting in a $2.6 billion annualized revenue run rate. Driven by the continued trust and support of our existing customers, our net dollar expansion for customers with greater than 10 employees continued to exceed 130%. We have also experienced a significant expansion in our customer cohort with 10 or fewer employees, which currently makes up 36% of our Q2 FY21 revenue, compared to 20% in Q4 of FY20. We're excited about the announcement this morning of OnZoom, which expands the value we bring to this customer segment. We ended Q2 FY21 with $1.5 billion in cash, cash equivalents, and marketable securities, excluding restricted cash, resulting in a 19 times increase in year-to-date free cash flow as compared to the same period last year. We've had an incredible expansion of customers joining the Zoom family year over year. As of Q2 FY21, we had a 458% growth for customers with more than 10 employees, ending with 370,000. We had an earned 12% growth for customers with greater than $100,000 of trailing 12-month revenue, increasing to 988, and a 226% growth for customers with greater than $1 million of ARR, ending at 88. We are humbled by the trust of our customers, which enabled us to deliver this remarkable set of results. Thank you to all of you for your ongoing support. Now let's take a deeper dive into the upmarket customer segment. When looking at our Global 2000 customer cohort, we see significant opportunity to expand and continue to add new logos. Year over year, the penetration rate by revenue, by recurring revenue, doubled across all cohorts. We have a 54% penetration rate for customers spending more than $1,000 of ARR. But at the $100,000 ARR threshold, the penetration rate is only 12%, signifying that there is still a lot of opportunity ahead. We have seen broad adoption from Global 2000 customers across diverse verticals, as you can see here. It is incredible to note that four of the five largest U.S. financial institutions and four out of five of the largest global transportation companies are Zoom customers today. And beyond the Global 2000, education and government were two of the fastest growing segments in Q1 and Q2 of FY21. Now let me discuss how our international business has performed as the global awareness of Zoom has increased. We see strong growth in our international market. In Q2, we had 669% growth year-over-year for EMEA and 573% growth year-over-year for Asia-Pacific. The top countries including UK, Japan, Canada, Australia, and Germany. From last year, Japan has moved up to second place from fourth, and India moved to seventh from tenth. We've also seen strong traction in Latin America and other non-English-speaking countries with the addition of Brazil and Spain to this list. As of Q2 FY21, approximately 30% of our business is from outside North America. We believe international can eventually become 40% of our total. The increased global awareness of our brand has also helped accelerate hiring in international markets. Now, on to Zoom Phone. With an estimated $23 billion addressable market by 2024, 
It continues to be a great opportunity to expand our footprint with existing customers and to drive new logos for companies looking to modernize their legacy PBX systems. Zoom Phone is now generally available in 43 countries and territories. We have expanded our global channel partner program for Zoom Phone with seven master agents and over 2,000 sub-agents. In the trailing 12 months, we have sold under sold over 500,000 Zoom Phone seats. Based on recent data data from Synergy Research, this ranks Zoom second by global seat count for hosted PBX and UCAS services. As of Q2 FY21, we have over 5,800 Zoom phone customers with greater than 10 employees, double from Q4 of FY20. Our head of Zoom phone and Zoom rooms, Graham Geddes, is here, and we'll have more Zoom phone updates for you in just a few minutes. Webinars are also another area of tremendous opportunity as demand for large virtual events has increased. A recent Forrester report indicates that businesses expect their number of online events to increase by as much as 3 to 400 percent as compared to the pre-pandemic environment. We have already seen this trend in virtual events as reflected in our annualized webinar minutes run rate, which increased to 42 billion in Q1 and Q2 of FY21 and are currently over $45 billion based on September. The new environment has expanded our market and outlook. There are new variables to our business model where historical knowledge and trends may no longer apply. As such, we want to give you a quick picture of our financial framework from a long-term perspective. We want to emphasize this is not meant to reflect guidance or objectives in the immediate future where the COVID-19 pandemic and the associated economic concerns remain uncertain. In the long term, we expect our gross margin to be approximately 80%. This is compared to our Q2 21 actual of 72% and the previous long-term profile of approximately 80 to 82%. As we have mentioned before, Our gross margin is contingent upon the mix of paid customers and free users, especially from the over 125,000 K-12 schools who have signed up to use the platform for free during the pandemic. We remain committed to supporting the minimization of learning disruption during this time. Our long-term gross margin framework reflects the expansion of our own co-located data center capacity balanced with continuing to leverage the public cloud for flexibility. Our R&D spending as a percentage of revenue is estimated to be in the range of 10 to 12 percent in the future, as compared to the Q2 actual of 4 percent and consistent with our previous long-term profile. We expect R&D to increase as a percentage of revenue as we invest in and diversify our engineering talent to drive innovation across all aspects of our platform. We expect sales and marketing as a percentage of revenue to be in the range of 30 to 35 percent in the future, compared to the Q2 actual of 19% and our previous long-term profile of approximately 40 to 42%. This improvement is due largely to the benefit we've received from increased brand awareness and improved sales productivity over the last several months. We plan to increase sales capacity to continue to capitalize on market opportunities. And in a post-COVID world, we would expect marketing investments to increase again as we host both physical presence and virtual events. DNA as a percentage of revenue is expected to be consistent at around 8 to 10 percent compared to Q2 FY21 actual and our previous long-term profile of approximately 8 to 10 percent. This will lead to non-GAAP operating income of approximately 25 percent 
compared to Q2 21 actual of 42% and up from our previous long-term profile of approximately 20%. We continue to stay focused on investing to drive top-line growth, taking market share, and doing what we can to minimize disruption in communication and learning during this pandemic. As such, it is uncertain when we will achieve this long-term profile. I also want to announce our philanthropy and sustainability program. Zoom cares for our community, our customers, our company, our teammates, and ourselves. We strive to make a positive impact by delivering virtual connections to the global community and committing to build a sustainable future for our environment and society. In the past, our Zoom Cares Charitable Program has been donating to education and social equity causes. Now the program is extending its value of care beyond philanthropy with the development of a comprehensive sustainability program. In summary, Zoom has grown so much this year, and we have firmly established a leadership role in the new work-from-anywhere world. Navigating this process has been a humbling learning experience, giving us a newfound appreciation for what we have achieved thus far, and most importantly, a renewed commitment to work harder to better serve our customers and communities. Thank you to the entire Zoom team for everything they have done and continue to do. Now let me turn the presentation over to Graham. Thanks, Kelly. Uh, so everyone excited to join today and share some updates for both Zoom phone uh, and Zoom rooms. So we'll, uh, we'll get right into it here. Uh, you know, first, I want to really take us back um, you know, to where we were at, at last year's Zoomtopia. So this is an actual slide that was shared as part of Eric's keynote, uh, really indicating the big shift that we're seeing in the market around this convergence of video and voice into a single video-first platform. You know, and while the convergence alone isn't something that's necessarily new, you know, it's the fact that video is taking a much more prominent role in the decision-making process with our customers you know, is the part that we find extremely important. Um, we met with a lot of industry analysts at the time last year, uh, and the comments were that this is definitely a trend, but it's going to take some time to come to fruition. Now, here we are a year later. No one could have ever predicted what has uh, happened, uh, but suffice it to say, we've seen a dramatic acceleration in the convergence of these two lines, um, and also you know, a shift in our customers, you know, making sure that they're choosing a platform that's been built from the ground up video first which I think is really important as we start to talk about Zoom Phone today. So, you know, just a quick recap of what Zoom Phone is that, you know, for those that may be new to the space, you know, Zoom Phone is a fully featured cloud-native phone system. It allows our customers to simplify their worker productivity and collaboration all into a single app while also providing a single point of administration for all of their collaboration across their entire organization. All of this is built on the same Zoom infrastructure that was built to support the needs of the largest and most demanding customers globally. And so it's really interesting to look back at this past year and look at all that we've accomplished. Uh, we've delivered over 400 features to the platform. So the innovation engine is definitely going full speed. Uh, we'll actually talk about some of these here in a few, but we are continuing to accelerate and deliver the capabilities that our customers need. Uh, in March, we actually expanded our master agent program. Uh, we, excuse me, we launched our master agent program to expand our routes to market with Zoom Phone. Uh, at launch, we launched with IntelliSys, Avant, Polaris, and Pax8. Uh, and then as recent as September, uh, we continued with our expansion internationally to service both EMEA and the APA, uh, ANZ markets uh, by partnerships with Nevias, ScanSource, and Tradewinds. 
So it's just been really exciting to see the partnerships. And as Kelly mentioned, we've seen over 2,000 subagents register to sell Zoom, uh, which is tremendously exciting. We've also been working extremely hard, uh, expanding the geographies where we can offer local PSTN replacement, uh, now at 43 countries and territories globally. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this here in a moment. Uh, and then most recently, uh, uh, we actually uh, announced our global select plan uh, where you know, Zoom, we pride ourselves on making things simple. And we had heard from our customers that they were tired of the complexities of managing multiple different PSTN services and plans across the globe. So we announced a simplified way to purchase and manage global telephony at a single plan, a single price point that's extremely competitive in market that allows unlimited domestic calling. Uh, and this is available in 42 countries globally. So we're really excited about this offer. So speaking of the international expansion, uh, this was a question that we got quite a bit last year at Zoomtopia. You know, this slide shows just how much hard work we've been putting in over the past year. Uh, last year, we had service available in just a handful of markets, you know, with a plan to ex expand to more. And fast forward, we're now uh, able to deliver full PSTN replacement. And it is important to keep in mind, you know, that this isn't virtual numbers or some of the other, you know, ways that some of our competitors may count locations. This is full PSTN replacement, including emergency sur services support in the markets that do support it for over 43 countries and territories, you know, which does put us ahead of most of our competitors. And we're not done. Uh, actually, this week, we're announcing our, uh, announcing our 44th, uh, where we're adding South Africa. And we're going to continue to expand to make sure that we can meet the needs of our global customers, uh, as well as our customers within these local markets. Uh, and speaking of growth, uh, you know, it's been amazing to see the traction that we've seen with Zoom Phone over the past year. Uh, I know Kelly mentioned a few of these stats, but I do want to take a moment to, sh you know, to go over them again. So over 500,000 seats sold in the past 12 months, uh, putting us again in the number two position for net new seats sold, according to Synergy Research. Um, you know, and this is really proving the point that we mentioned earlier about this shift in the industry and the convergence between voice and video with Zoom in a great position of strength to continue to drive you know, this transformation. Uh, we have 50, over 5,800 paying customers with greater than 10 or more employees. Our phone traffic has increased over eightfold since last year. And we also see that 22%, so this is, you know, call it close to one in four customers are new to Zoom meaning they're buying the entire platform, both meetings and phone, together. So, you know, in Kelly's notes, Kelly mentioned the significant growth of our business uh, with more than, you know, 370,000 customers now using Zoom with 10 or more employees, representing a huge opportunity for us with Zoom phone. But we're also seeing lots of traction and success with customers that are entirely new to Zoom as a whole. So it's not just about the upsell opportunity. This is really about the transformation that's happening within this $23 billion market. A few more stats uh, to share. Uh, we've seen great strength uh, across the globe, uh, predominantly here in the Americas. But with our international expansion, we're starting to see traction uh, in EMEA and APAC as well. Uh, a great example of this is a recent win with Rakuten uh, in Japan, uh, which is now our largest Zoom phone customer to date. Uh, and actually, Eric will be doing an interview with Harari Sun from Rakuten as part of our APAC keynote uh, this evening at 8 p.m. But overall, great to see the strength and traction that we're uh, experiencing internationally. From a customer size perspective, uh, we've seen 62% of our bookings come from mass market, 
uh, which we define as customers with a thousand employees or less. But we're also seeing tremendous strength and traction in the upmarket space. Uh, our great customers who are on with us here today, so Gilead and Discovery will be joining us for a fireside chat, uh, are great examples of this upmarket success as well. Uh, we're also seeing a really great traction across a wide range of verticals, so retail, healthcare, financial services, and we do see some sectors growing significantly quarter over quarter, like education. Now, this week we do have a number of exciting announcements. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you were able to attend this morning's keynote, uh, but on stage, uh, Oded Gall, our chief product officer, was uh, did highlight a few of these. Uh, he uh, highlighted our nomadic E911 service. So this is an amazing capability. Not only does it help our customers comply with emergency services regulations like Megan's Law or Ray Bombs Act, but for a lot of companies, they've had to purchase third-party solutions that work in tandem with their voice services to provide this level of capability. So we're providing tremendous value for our customers by adding these feature sets right into our native offerings. And we're also pushing the boundaries of these capabilities by integrating them seamlessly into our platform, extending alerts and notifications to digital signage and chat, you know, just as an example. We're also really excited about the powerful capabilities with TMMS uh, and also how we're going to be using uh, artificial intelligence to combat spam and robocalls for a better uh, experience for our end customers. We've also seen a lot of great traction with our customers as they look to respond to, the, to this new work from anywhere environment amidst the global pandemic. You know, these are just a, a couple of sample quotes from a recent tech validate survey we did with our Zoom phone customers and a few that I want to highlight. Uh, this first example, we implemented the solution right before COVID. Zoom phone has made it possible for our firm to transition employees to a remote work environment within 24 hours. Another here, Zoom phone has allowed us to operate remotely for the past six months without any impact to the company. So a great testament uh, to, you know, what Zoom phone can help them with. Uh, and it really is a solution to help modernize their infrastructure while also providing a better employee experience. Now, as I mentioned, uh, we have some two amazing customers that will be joining Ryan here for our fireside chat uh, later but we also have a number of customers joining us for breakout sessions as part of this week's events. Uh, there's actually one that's happening uh, right now, so you can definitely go back and watch the recording. Uh, but we have uh, that one is actually tailored more to our mass market audience, uh, and we have great uh, examples, Zoom phone customers like Brotherhood Mutual, uh, Holly Troxel Law Firm, uh, National Wildlife Federation, and Environmental Lights, uh, who will all be participating in that. We also have a session directly following this one at 1 p.m. Pacific uh, talking about Zoom phone in the enterprise. We're going to be joined from customers like ServiceNow, Quinnipiac University, eBay, and Viacom CBS. So it's always great to hear from our customers directly. Uh, definitely welcome you to attend those live streams. And now we'll switch focus a bit, uh, jump into Zoom Rooms. Uh, and in a similar fashion, it's been a jam-packed year for Zoom Rooms really starting with our launch of the Zoom Room appliances at Zoomtopia of last year, our appliance model has really taken off and we've seen amazing growth and adoption from our customers. We'll actually touch on appliances more uh, in a later slide. Uh, we've seen uh, some major software enhancements with a big release in December where we were able to launch some first-to-market features. Then in July, we launched our hardware-as-a-service program, which was an exciting opportunity 
for us to you know, really provide a full solution that's from Zoom, inclusive of the hardware, all for a single monthly price with no CapEx upfront requirements. Uh, and then most recently here in the, this past August, as Kelly mentioned, we announced our Zoom for Home category of devices. We started with the D10 Me uh, and quickly expanded to a growing list of smart displays. So there's a lot of excitement around this Zoom for Home. And I think it's even more exciting when you couple it with this morning's announcements about our on-Zoom marketplace as well. So speaking of Zoom Room appliances, uh, we're very excited to announce this week's uh, new hardware solutions that are coming for 2021. Uh, the portfolio is growing extremely fast uh, and really highlights the strength of our open hardware ecosystem. Uh, we have a, some really innovative four factors now that we're seeing, and our customers can really be assured that we have a device that's going to solve their needs for a wide range of different spaces. Now, similar to Zoom Phone, we have seen a shift due to the global pandemic, um, and We've responded from a Zoom room perspective really with an opportunity to help our customers as they re-enter the workplace. So lots of customers are talking about uh, hybrid work environments with some people in the office and others remote. Uh, and this week, we announced a great new list of capabilities to help our customers uh, with these challenges from, you know, the Zoom room kiosk mode that allows for a great virtual receptionist experience to the ability to control a Zoom room right from your uh, desktop or mobile device, or even automate it with voice commands. And then we have Smart Gallery View, which you see here on the right-hand side, allowing us to capture all of the faces within a room uh, of all of the participants and allow our remote participants to have the full gallery view that they've come to expect while everyone has been remote. We've also seen uh, some really great adoption of our whiteboarding capabilities, especially with the strength that we're seeing in verticals like education. And so we're, we've announced a number of exciting whiteboard capabilities this week, uh, things like sticky notes and whiteboard templates to infinite canvas and persistent whiteboarding, uh, so you can always go back to where you left out, off. Uh, and we have a great list of Zoom Room breakout sessions this week as well for those that are interested. So with that, that's it for me. Uh, excited to pass the baton over to Ryan Azus, our CRO, who will be leading us off for our, uh, our fireside chat. So Ryan, over to you. Thank you, Graham. I um, really appreciate that. Lots of exciting things and you know news that's being announced, and a lot, of, as always, lots of innovation coming here from Zoom. I'm really honored and excited to be able to kind of host this chat, you know, fireside virtual chat um, with two great technology leaders from two amazing companies. Um, let me, let's bring up Will um, from Gilead, Kevin Atkin, and from Discovery, Jill Poirier-Bolvik. Thank you for uh, joining us, Jill and Kevin. Welcome. For starters, why don't we go ahead and just maybe give just a little bit about your background, um, your company, and just maybe high level um, help the group understand your organization. Jill, why don't you go first? Uh, sure. Uh, Jill Poribovic. I know that last name's crazy, but you guys both did a good job trying to say that. So, um, listen, I was raised in a small farming community in Kansas, and I think that gave me the basis for um, my sense of community and humanity that I've carried with me, and it's what I leave with today. So that's an important part of who I am. I moved to the East Coast about 33 years ago, got into IT 30 years ago. Um, I've always been 
sort of crazy about data and analytics and strategy and crisis situations. So IT is sort of the perfect fit for me. Um, I'm married and have two amazing children, and I've been with Discovery for 13 glorious years. Uh, when we talk about the company, uh, we are the leader in real-life television. Uh, we're in about 20, 220 countries and territories. We have about 20% of the share of women in the U.S. watching during prime time. And, you know, when you think about Discovery, a lot of people think of Discovery Channel, but it's much bigger than that. Now, some of the flagship channels we have are uh, Food Network, HGTV, Eurosport, OWN Network, the Oprah Winfrey Network, uh, Science, Animal Planet, on and on and on and on. So it's, it's definitely bigger than it seems. Um, organizationally for me, I have about 250 people in 32 countries. Uh, we support anything from an enterprise perspective when it comes to what you've touched, uh, the software you have, the collaboration tools you have, anything really uh, that touches the business. We are the first line support for everything. I always say I can't fix it if the toilet doesn't flush, but you can call me and I'll help you get to the person that can fix it. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Uh, and how about you, Kevin? Um, tell us a little about yourself and Gilead. Absolutely. Good morning, Ryan. Thank you. Um, my background is, is fairly straightforward. Uh, I spent a lot of my time in the beginning of my IT career in consulting, working for any number of different companies from Safeway to Ford Motor Company, uh, in, in both those instances delivering on real-time uh, applications. After that, moved, moved on to uh, Kaiser Permanente, where I was part of a large multi-billion dollar program to upgrade the, the infrastructure across all the thousand buildings at Kaiser. So that was a, a fantastic experience. Um, moving on from that, went to uh, to Disney for a, a short period of time and then have been here at Gilead for about three years. Awesome. Uh, um, in terms of Gilead, right, so we're a research-based biopharmacal company, uh, biopharmaceutical company uh, that discovers, develops, and commercializes innovative medicines in areas of unmet medical need. Um, the company does strive to transform and simplify care for people with life-threatening illnesses around the world. Uh, we do operate in 35 countries, um, and that includes um, all aspects of the business, uh, including manufacturing. Great. Um, I mean, two really important companies these days with, you know, especially with everything going on in the world. You know, Joe, your your company helping, you know, keep us entertained and educated um, and enabling people even to travel when they can't leave their homes and see, you know, lots of unique places and stay connected. Um, and Kevin, you know, your company um, literally helping come up with, you know, hopefully vaccines um, to help um, with COVID. And so really, really important company from the world right now. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about your Zoom journey. Um, you know, if we rewind the clock back a couple of years, like how, how did it land at your company? You know, you know, where did it first enter? Um, what was it replacing? Uh, Kevin, why don't you go first? Absolutely. Our journey started in 2018. Um, ultimately, we had an end user experience problem. So we had, uh, at the time, we had three separate uh, conferencing platforms and then a, a fourth conference room management platform. So we had four different platforms. Ultimately, we had two different populations and uh, one population preferred a sing you know, one of the platforms and the other population preferred the other. And they, both those populations and those platforms operated differently. And often as they had to involve and, and engage with each other across those platforms, there were challenges. And then there were challenges with the conference rooms. So not that any of those platforms in and of themselves were, were poor or, or, or bad experience. It was just the overarching um, uh, 
user uh, experience was not positive. And so, you know, and that's where the, the Zoom journey came in. And that's where we started to look at Zoom and look at that, that frictionless experience, right? Um, across all that. So it's not just the conferencing platform, but because Zoom had the conference room and the Zoom room capabilities, we really saw that as a, a, a huge advantage for us. Awesome. And how about for you, Jill? Um, what was that journey like? Uh, it was quite a journey, let me tell you. Um, so we used a platform called Econo prior to um, Zoom. And Econo, the reason we chose it is because it had superior audio and video quality as a media company that was super important to us. But it, we had our problems with it, right? So we knew in 2018, 2017 that we were we needed to move. It was an on-prem platform. It had been bought by Cisco, so it was bound to be uh, decommissioned. And really, from a usability perspective, it's, it wasn't something we could roll out globally. So early 2018, we uh, acquired Scripps Network. They were using Zoom. And uh, day one, just imagine, right, everybody's coming together with 50 people in conference rooms to talk. And picture the YouTube video of the most horrible uh, experience ever for video conferencing, and that was playing out in spades. And so it was one meeting with the C-level telling me what they felt about conferencing. And after that meeting, I decided it was Zoom. Uh, there's about six folks in the company that, that manage the AV for us. And they are hardcore AV people. I'm talking one person was at um, Woodstock and met Janice Joplin. So they, they have a very specific opinion. And when I told them we're going to Zoom, uh, was about an hour of no inside voices being used. And, um, but I was, I was positive that was a solution. I knew that it met about 95% of our use cases. And that 5%, although very important for our networks to be able to collaborate, uh, you know, we were just going to have to hug it out with them because I needed that usability piece. So we fast forward, moved to Zoom very quickly. Uh, and it was um, not the easiest of experiences initially, but by far, and I've been forgiven, by the way, by the AV team, uh, we, we never could have done what we did today on that old platform. It's great to hear. And we should thank those folks at Scripps. Um, and then how about, um, Jill, you know, you think about, you know, since then we've had a broader agreement. We've moved on to multiple services, you know, um, and, you know, things like Zoom Room, Zoom Phone, you know, webinars. Can you talk about, you know, how you go from meetings to other services and what that was like um, for yourself at Discovery? Yeah, we always knew that we would do Zoom Rooms. So Zoom Rooms and user licenses was the thing. Um, and, and Zoom Phone, we talked about actually at Zoomtopia. And what we saw internally, again, I'm kind of a, a Dave junkie, was, you know, the use of phone, period, the t legacy telephony services are starting to trail off. You know, mobile was big for us. But what we found with the implementation of Zoom, especially within Discovery, is that we were a video-first company, right? When I share with my team, my they know the expectation is everybody's going to video share. I need to see you and feel you. Um, so what we saw happening is, People were reverting to Zoom video as their platform to discuss and see, and not so much just a phone. And so we talked about moving to Zoom phone because we did have a, a virtual or a, a soft phone already in place. We had legacy uh, platforms in place on French systems because of all the M&As that we've done. Uh, so in January of this year, we decided that's it. We're getting rid of all the old stuff. We're, we're moving to Zoom phone, and that was in January. Q, the pandemic, uh, and the plan we had to roll out Zoom phone over the course of 2020. The pandemic was actually super useful 
we pulled that all in. I had no users that could say to me, but I need my desk phone. No, you don't. You've not been in the office for two months. I'm taking that baby away from you. Have a nice day. Um, so for us, Zoom phone was really one of the great things that we were able to execute quickly on that we thought we would have a really long uh, ramp for. There's some lonely uh, desk phones in the office. So that- <laughs> no more. We've ripped them out. There you go. Good. Uh, and then how about on your side, Kevin, um, you know, kind of the journey of expansion. What does that look like uh, for you? Absolutely. Um, you know, so it was our plan from the very beginning, and our strategy was a, a cloud-first strategy. So that, that's been there for a number of years. And in terms of strategically also looking to move down um, and consolidate our platforms. So as, as I said before, we essentially had four platforms to manage our conferencing. We have three different phone platforms and then a streaming service as well. So the, the, the design from the very beginning was to collapse all eight of those platforms down to a single platform. Uh, taking advantage, obviously, from the simplicity of it, the operational efficiencies, uh, and certainly financially and, and looking at the cost aspects. So we were we were all in from the very beginning. Um, and it, it proved to be very true in terms of, you know, where we started. So back in 2018, when we, we started the journey, um, and as it relates to the, the Zoom room story, we had about 220 conference rooms, um, all of different makes and sizes. And as our, our standards changed, we, we uh, didn't do a good job of, of going back and revamping because they, they were expensive to do. But with Zoom and our, our initial uh, rollout, we were able to go and replace those, double it. And now we've even doubled that since then. So we have we went from 220 video enabled rooms to well over a thousand now. And at the same time, we tweaked all our standards. So now every conference room is a Zoom room. So there's no exception. Where in the past that wasn't the case. You had, we sprinkled some some uh, video enabled rooms throughout a location. So it's been extremely transformative from that perspective. Um, and we use everything. So right now, webinars, I've got my stats right here. Uh, so in the last uh, 12 months, we've done over 1,600 webinars. Uh, webinars are, are, are critical to, to our operation. And what's amazing is after we've delivered webinars to everybody, they're finding new ways to use it, um, both internally and externally as, as we engage our, our customer base. Uh, and now we're moving on to the Zoom phone story. We actually rolled out Zoom phone to some degree, not holistically, um, I'm back in May, and now what we're doing is now we're moving and moving all our sites in, which is a little bit more uh, complicated process. But now we're looking at rolling out Zoom Phone um, throughout the remainder of this year and then into next year. That's great. And a couple, couple questions for you then on that. You know, first off, you mentioned, you know, having multiple platforms of video, multiple platforms on phone, and consolidating, you know, I think I said eight, if I heard you right, have those platforms down to one. All those platforms, what what's that legacy? What causes that? You know, when you look back into your business, it's going. Yeah, some of those are through acquisitions, similar to Jill, right? So we we brought on some legacy platforms um, with always the plan to to move them over. Uh, and so while some of those plans were we we did engage on and work on, some of these we were waiting because we wanted to see the 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 plan come together. And, and again, our plan was to always move to to uh, Zoom as the underlying platform. Um, so. You know, and the challenge, you know, some of the platforms were change management related. So we ended up with two core conferencing platforms, one on-prem, one one cloud. And the reason how we got into that is we didn't manage the change management process in the best way. 
So we changed all that. We learned from our lessons. We engaged, uh, we had obviously full buy-in on the IT side and we engaged the business. We had full buy-in from the business. We created business, you know, change champions globally. Cause that was the other thing. We're a global company. We're in 35 countries. We're all over. Um, so I think keys to success and keys and in, in our learning from the problem that we had was, you know, obviously the platform had to work. It had to meet the business need. It had to have the end user experience that we were looking for, and Zoom did. And then our approach changed. We had to make sure and get buy-in and support from the business in, the, in terms of the rollout. That's awesome. And then on the the rooms you were talking about, going from, I think, around 200 to 1,000, um, you know, was it just the technology was simpler? Is it, you know, did the business need around rooms change? I'm just trying to understand that's a pretty big multiple. And I'm assuming you didn't build 5X the conference rooms in your business. Yeah, it's a little bit all of the above, right? And we, so they are simpler. They are less expensive than our previous standards and the quality was better. But more importantly, the engagement and end user experience was better. So in terms of the, the, it all centered around the Zoom meeting controller. And as we went down this journey, we knew we had a lot of choices in terms of how we could implement these rooms. We made a choice in the very beginning. We had some of the, some of the legacy um, equipment that we had. We could have converted over as Zoom rooms. But we made a very distinct decision to have the meeting controller be identical in every single room. So we actually ripped out everything because we wanted to have the end user experience be the same. So whether you were in a conference room in France or Germany or, or in the U.S., it didn't matter where you were. You knew exactly how to use it. So that was, you know, we stuck to our guns. We we're able to do it. And now that's part of our standards. So we have literally the same exact meeting controller in a thousand rooms, um, which and, you know, in IT, there's a lot of um, – we operate on noise often, and the noise is gone. So we, we don't have any more noise about conference rooms and people going into conference rooms and not knowing how to use them. Good. Thank you. Um, you know, Jill, you know, you mentioned crisis earlier. I heard you say when you were talking, um, being prepared for crisis, I think, or, you know. And, you know, let's be real. You know, with 2020, you, you had certain plans, I'm sure, before COVID. Um, and so what were those plans? What did it look like for you and for discovery, you know, pre-COVID, like for digital transformation, for communication? And, you know, how did this crisis that, you know, we're all in, how did that change things? You know, what's interesting is um, we're not that big as a company, but we are um, very tech forward. Uh, so in 2016, we started pushing to the cloud. We were totally out of our data center in Maryland by 2017. We were the first media company to push all of our intellectual property to the cloud. So when you start pushing that envelope that early, you know, everything else has to follow suit. On-prem-wise isn't going to be a thing if you don't have a data center. Um, so we started leveraging and using those collaboration tools and SaaS products very early on. So when I think about, you know, we got to the pandemic situation, I know in February, because I have people all over the country, you know, all over the world, that in Spain, I know what's going to happen, right? So it's getting everybody together, daily meetings starting in February about the logistics of, of equipment and offices closing and humans and how to take care of them and all those things. It was more about the leadership of this exercise than it was about the technology because we were pretty set from a technology perspective. And we've not stopped any of the programs that we'd intended to put in. The Olympics stopped. Uh, that was helpful. <laughs> I have to say, though, now we're bunched up uh, for the next two years to execute on the summer and winter games. But the, that was the only thing that stopped. We are moving from Microsoft to um, Google. That hasn't stopped. We started pushing that out in um, August. 
So everything we had planned to do, we're still doing. You know, we just had to regroup on how we execute on that. It sounds like you're definitely prepared for it. it makes it less of a crisis, right? Yes. Um, and Kevin, similar, different? How about on your side? Uh, very similar to, to Jill's experience. We were um, had a cloud-first uh, approach and strategy. Um, and, and at least from from this kind of platform perspective, we were already there. Luckily, right? We had just completed our our, our migration to Zoom in May of last year. Uh, finally, uh, turning off the other platforms in July. So we we were actually from uh, fantastically prepared for this. And but what what COVID did do for us is it helped pull Zoom Phone forward. So while Zoom Phone was in the strategy, we the plan was not to do it now. The plan was to, to do most of it in 2021 and 2022. But we realized the the amazing capability that Zoom Phone provides in the ability to have enterprise voice anywhere, anytime on any device. And now that our users were at home, home 100%, and then soon, you know, going to be home in office and, and have this transition for uh, quite some time. So we really see the, the business value of having Zoom Phone. So we're pulling that forward and trying to get that out to users as quickly as we can. Awesome. And, and then let's talk about use cases a little bit. Um, of course, you're using it for meetings, you're using it for events, you know making calls, but tell us more behind what's happening in those meetings and those events and those calls. I mean, you're both at pretty unique, um, you know, well-known brands, but also different companies. So like, you know, on your end, Kevin, you know, what's really happening? You know, we know it's a meeting, but tell us the truth. What's behind that? <laughs> um, literally everything you can think of, you know, uh, obviously we're a, um, a pharmaceutical company, so there's science happening. Um, there's there's conversation, not actual physical science, but the conversation about science and, and keeping everyone, uh, you know, informed. Um, you know, sales, marketing, every aspect of, of, of the business, um, as well as, you know, how do you do inspections, right? So these situations where we'd have inspectors come online and we had to figure out a whole new way how do we continue to, to do business and how do we do inspections in a way um, that that met our, our business requirements previously, but in a completely virtual way? So it, it's, yeah, I mean, it's amazing what, what happens um, in, in each each and every business type and webinars. So we really didn't do webinars previously, and now we're doing 7,000-person webinars. So And everyone had to change a little bit, and I think that was kind of the amazing uh, thing here uh, for me is, all users had to change. They had to look at it differently. They had to take personal accountability for their technology and their experience. And they did, and they, everyone rose to the occasion. Uh, so pretty, pretty uh, incredible. Awesome. And how about on, for your side, Jill? What are some of those unique or specific use cases? There's a couple of things that come to mind for me uh, internally. So, uh, again, sort of the aggressiveness that we have with technology and, and wanting to um, find savings in the IT space. When we launched Zoom, uh, our broadcast team came to us and said, listen, we think we can use Zoom to do um, remote editing. So in our industry, what typically used to happen is you'd fly in the producers and everybody, you'd get into a pretty swanky editing pod, and you would sit there jointly and edit that program to get it to a final cut. Um, and proactively, the teams were like, listen, we think we can do this remote. And so they started doing that in 2018, 2019. They kind of finalized it. There's some people that weren't so keen on it, but guess what happened in 2020? Everybody's doing remote editing because you're not flying in to do that. So they were kind of ahead of the game. I think one of the other really important things, just like Kevin said, is webinars. We only had three webinars last year. Uh, we've had 250 this year. And again, that's like six guys working from home, helping with those webinars. Um, and 
it started with our um, CEO having town halls each week. And, you know, I think back to March, which seems like a lifetime ago, and we would get together and they would they would talk to us on such a human level. And they would bring in speakers like Madeline Albright and Oprah and Mike Rowe and some of our talent to sort of give us, I'm going to say hope, right? Like we would talk about the company and everything else, but then you would have this insightful um, discussion, real life discussion that sort of kept us going. And our executives have vowed that we're never doing the town halls with the big setup and the t- thank God, because, you know, that was like holding your breath constantly to make sure those things went well. So we are done with the full on come into the room uh, town halls that's changed forever. And when I think about our external use of Zoom, uh, as a media company, there's something that's called upfront that happens each year where everybody gets together and you try to sell all your marketing, your advertising spots. Obviously, that's not happening. We've done upfront in a different way, in a more intimate way with our with our uh, agencies. And so that's gone well. There was a uh, poker tournament hosted by, um, I can't even remember, Mount Sinai. And our CEO and some of his executives uh, participated in that and raised $1.2 million for frontline workers. And, again, the sauce behind that, you know, it's one of my guys at home on a Saturday uh, with headband on, like, jamming. (laughs) It's amazing. So those are some of the highlights of the use cases we've had that um, are not normal from uh, just the regular old meetings. That's great. We have some unique speakers that come into Zoom for our all handsome, you know, and lots of um, different diverse folks and CEOs, but we haven't had Oprah yet. So not <laughs> Let me see what I can do. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see what we can do. We had um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar come in. So that oh, was that's, fun. Now that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> a little easier when it's virtual, right? I mean, that's one thing <laughs> what we're seeing is, you know, people's accessibility changes quite a bit, Um, you know, when they can pop in for, you know, their part of the time, you know, whatever it may be. Um, Let's do this. You know, let's, you know, I have a few more questions, but let's open it up um, to the audience, too. Matt, are you out there? Yep, I'm here. All right. Let's see if we get a couple of hand raises, Matt, if you want to call in a couple of folks. Um, and Jill and Kevin were both gracious enough to allow some audience questions. Let's hear them. Certainly. We have one question. Uh, first question is going to be from Rishi Jaluria from D.A. Davidson. Hey, hey, Jill and Kevin, uh, thanks so much for taking the time. Really appreciate all, all the insights, and, and, and this is really useful for us. Um, wanted to ask one question to, to each of you. Uh, Jill, at the beginning of, of your remarks, you talked about how there's, you know, Zoom was ready for 95% of use cases. I was wondering if you could be a little bit more specific. What what are those 5% of, of use cases that, that maybe the AV folks felt Zoom wasn't ready for? And, you know, in your opinion, what needs to be done to, to get Zoom there, be it a new features or customization? Um, and then I'll ask the follow-up for Kevin after that. Sure. Well, that was 2018, so that feels like a lifetime ago. Um, and, again, because we're a media company and because we have sports, pixelization is a thing, right? So top-quality video and audio are a must. And that's where um, Zoom didn't have that same quality as Econo. So when I talk about the 5%, and it was a very important 5%, I'm talking about the head of the networks, right? If you're in L.A. and you're trying to share content with somebody that's in Maryland and I don't have that top quality, it's going to be a problem. Um, I always say I have to hug it out with those folks no matter what level they're at. So we know that this is going to be a problem for them. And we proactively went to them and said, look, here's what's going to happen. This is, this is going to be, this is going to hurt for a little bit, <laughs> but we trust our partner. 
and we know that they're going to come up to speed and get this quality fixed. So we worked with Zoom. They actually helped us get some very specialized things in place so that we had better quality. That 5% has been solved. We're no longer in that space, so we're at 100%. No problems with our uh, initial 2018 woes. Great, that's helpful. And then, uh, Kevin, given that you're you're in arguably one of the most heavily regulated industries out there, just wondering, you know, as as you adopted Zoom and and kind of consolidated onto one platform from from many, um, what what did you need to do, or or how did Zoom maybe help you, you know, maintain uh, compliance and 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 make sure that you're in line with regulations, uh, just given kind of the transition. Thanks. And absolutely. Um, luckily, in, in terms of most regulations and the regulatory activities, right, we, it, it's not a GXP platform. So we didn't have too many, um, you know, situations around regulatory. But we certainly we took, uh, you know, security and privacy very seriously. And we, you know, managed and developed the platform upon initial release in such a way that we maintained that consistency throughout. Great. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, and thank you, Rishi. Um, Matt, any other questions out there? Yes, we do have one more from C.T. Panagrahi from Mizuho Securities. Thanks for taking my question, uh, and Kevin and Jill. I just wanted to ask your decision to switch to Zoom phone, mainly cloud phone. So what, what did you have before, and what made you, you know, what are the factors that influence your decision to move to cloud phone, and, and why Zoom, and what other uh, phone you looked at, and then I have a follow up for Ryan. Uh, for us, we had again M and A's give you a little splash of everything, right? Um, we were also one of the first companies to move to an E5 license to do Skype PBX, and because we we're moving to Google, that was obviously one thing that we wanted to change. Uh, and when we looked at kind of the scope of where we were with on-prem equipment, and again, statistically looking at the data on who's making calls, et cetera. For us, it made sense to move away from it. We had Avaya, we had Cisco, the most expensive phones you can have, of course, the video phones. Um, and we had Skype PBX and then, you know, internationally, a smattering of other things. And so it was what we've done is we've reduced uh, down to just Avaya, just to one Avaya core. We need that for, you know, some situations that we, we have to have in each office where there's a kind of a landline as a, a last ditch effort if there's any kind of issues. Yeah, and for us, um, our, we had three platforms. Our primary platform was, was Cisco, kind of traditional on-prem. Um, we also had, uh, through acquisition, Mitel and Ring Central. Um, so the, the decision is actually pretty straightforward. It, it wasn't a hard one. Our Zoom experience for audio on meetings is so fantastic. Why would you introduce anything extra? Um, and certainly for, as we look at the end user experience where our, our users were are comfortable they like the Zoom experience. They like the client. They like the client on, on all their devices, and they already know how to use it. Layering on Zoom phone was, is very easy, as opposed to rolling out another client, you know, comms, change management, and all the activities that would, would happen along with that. Okay. Thank you. And, uh, Ryan, so you joined a year ago when Zoom had maybe around 74,000 business customers, and now in the last two quarters itself, you guys added like 290,000 customers. So tell us, how has your go-to-market strategy has changed after March, maybe in terms of self-serve hiring or in terms of partnership? And how are you planning to penetrate further with more users into this, uh, you know, that new 290,000 customer and even to increase their spend even above 100,000? 
No, great question, Sadie. I mean, I think it's a very similar playbook, but it's more of it and faster if you really step back from it. Um, you know, we've always had vast teams that, you know, focus on customers. Um, we've definitely had to increase the size of those, as you'd imagine. And we have a variety of services like Zoom Phone, as you can hear from Kevin and Jill, that are having that success and making sure we're penetrating into that, along with, I think you mentioned partners, leveraging partners, you know, where appropriate, um, to make sure we're expanding our reach. Thank you. Sure. Matt, I think we have a question. Um, I see a hand up. Alex uh, Zukin. Hopefully I said it right, Alex. We'll you did. All right. Did. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Um, my, my question for the panelists is how much of the decision to move to uh, Zoom phone was driven by cost? And, and if you can compare kind of the incremental cost that you had to pay uh, for that functionality versus your your other platforms. And, and in general, as you think about the um, you know, the continued innovation out of the company, what other features do you feel like would be logical for you to add over time uh, that, that you're currently seeing from other vendors? I, I, I can try that one out first. Um, so the, the cost is, is, was part of the, obviously part of the decision making and, and, the, and the costs work out. And what we were faced with is actually a full migration and a full uplift of our, our infrastructure. So we were in a lifecycle management situation as well. So um, weighing those two costs, uh, the lifecycle management of our existing solutions, as well as the change management. So I think we, when we look at IT, we look at, you know, licensing costs, hardware costs, and that's a lot of what we talk about. What's missing is the change management costs, you know, the, the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, um, and especially for us, 35 different countries, languages, et cetera, um, and, and the, the successfulness of that, because uh, that's an ongoing thing. So when you bundle all up, the, the, the economies were there, certainly for Zoom phone. Absolutely. Same for us. I mean, I mentioned before, we're kind of, um, very aware of financials and always trying to reduce the cost of that per user cost. So when I look at the analytics around that and really labor costs was a big part of it. You know, you don't think about the, just the, the labor needed to maintain those on-prem, um, platforms. And I don't even think I recognized the scope of it until I started putting all the data together. Like how much am I pay, paying for the platform for the licenses for those, for those on-prem platforms? Who do I have that's supporting the MACDs associated with that, you know, turning up, turning down, et cetera, et cetera. And so when I did the initial chart, it's like if we did, I call it the do nothing approach, right? That's like this. <laughs> and then the do something approach, which was like that, it was about a million dollars a year in savings. And I don't think I would have thought that to be the case, but adding in the labor cost there, that really helped condense the story down to like a must do story. Got it. And, and maybe just as a follow-up, Jill, for you, I mean, it's interesting, right, because you're also moving from Microsoft to Google, which has a, you know, a communications platform as well. What was the reason that, you know, you wanted to segregate certain functionality uh, between the two platforms? Well, we're a creative company, so it's crazy town, right, 24 by 7 for us. Like, how many people load TikTok and allow, you know, we have to allow for things that most companies can't allow for. And in that creative environment, you know, our users drive us to the best in breed. If I think about Zoom in general, it was actually a user initially that started using Zoom, right? And then we were already looking at it. So we have to take into account the creativity in our company and what works for them. We're a big Slack shop. Uh, I don't think there's a chance you could ever pull that away from 
the teams at this point. You can pull Zoom away, you know. So the the business drives us with their creativity to these different uh, platforms. And, you know, the hope is always, well, you know, as a company, we're going to make a decision that's going to be this platform. But realistically, we're going to go with the best in breed, you know, and what our business needs. You know, every time I join another conferencing platform, I, I'm like, oh, my God. This is horrible, right? I mean, literally, and we're all paying each other on the side, like, oh, my God, thank God we're not doing this. Um, so I think it is best in breed. You know, are the other platforms going to rise to the occasion? I just watched the opening keynote. I don't think so. <laughs> I, I don't think so. Well, thank you. Um, and then I think one more um, question from the audience. Yep, our next question is from Alex Kurtz. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for doing this today. I really appreciate it. Uh, question for, for Jill and Kevin. Not a, not a phone question, but just the, about the platform and specifically about the webinars. Jill, you mentioned that webinar growth has been very strong at the company, and I'd love to hear Kevin's view. Like, what would you want more from the webinar platform? Seems like one of the most powerful tools that, that we've all been interacting with uh, over the last, uh, you know, six to nine months. So I'd just like to hear your views on where they could take it and have it be more impactful to uh, to your organizations? I can tell you when I'm watching a webinar, um, I always want a heart or a thumbs. I always have a, a desire to heart or thumbs up when they're right. talking about something that, you know, resonates so that you can see, you know, of the topics that are being discussed, what is it that's really resonating with your audience? I'd love to see that. I'm sure if I consulted my team, there's plenty of things from a webinar management perspective that they'd like to see, um, as well as, changing up how the webinar itself looks and your ability to uh, maybe brand, et cetera. But uh, not, I mean, it works. That's the most important thing. I'm sure we could spend all day with features and functions if we thought about it. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, our, our view on webinar is similar. I think the end user experience is great. Um, most of the things around webinar are around the production side. So we've got a, you know, similar to Jill, right? I've got a whole team of, of professional, um, you know, production folks. Um, they went from on-prem, um, highly controlled, multifaceted, seven different camera angles. Now we're trying to recreate that in, in a virtual way. So, of course, they've come to me with thousands of different things, right? Um, so what we're doing is trying to be intelligent. We're partnering with Zoom, uh, trying to, to layer in some of these, these capabilities and functions. I think some were, were, were announced here uh, today, um, which are going to go a long way into improving that experience. And that's the goal, right? We want to continue to improve the experience and really reflect the end user experience that all our customers, you know, our internal customers are looking for. Thank you. Great alignment on that, you know, Kevin. And that's, I mean, we're all about delivering happiness, of course. And, you know, one of the ways we do that is, you know, working with customers like, you know, both of you, hearing those needs and understanding. And then, of course, what we don't have today, we will have tomorrow. Um, you know, engineers and innovators or product managers are working hard on many of the things that you're talking to today. Um, let me do this. Let me have, let me do one last question. I'll, I'll walk through and then, you know, uh, if I think about, you know, just maybe in general, like, um, post pandemic, um, you know, there's been definitely a major focus on this work from home environment. And, you know, it's been somewhat forced in the sense that it's not been much of a choice. Like we all have to. And I have heard both of you talk about new ways of working, new ways of getting things done, new ways of everything, um, that you were prepared for in your companies, but probably not fast forwarded. When you look ahead, what do you see post-pandemic from your company? What are the key enablers, and what is that going to look like um, for your company and how people are going to work? 
Uh, I mean, for, uh, for us, um, we we have a lot of agile offices. So we were all already sort of when we talk about um, what conference rooms look like for us, it could be a phone booth for one person, for two, for three, for five. It could be a conference room. It could be anything. Right. So there's that aspect of it. We aren't dying to get back into the office. Uh, of course, we have our offices. We will have that back to work plan, but we're equally going to work on, you know, kind of full time work from home positions. Uh, it's clear based on the surveys we've done as a company, there is a strong desire for that. I think myself of the, the, how many years of my life I wasted commuting three hours a day, right? Um, so I think there's that aspect of it. When, when we talk about enablers, there's always going to be, uh, the collaboration is going to be huge, right? The need for that to grow and expand. But when I think about enablers, the thing I think that is most critical is leadership, right? You need strong leaders to lead out a crisis and all those things. But your job as a leader becomes so much more than just about the job, right? One reason I demand my team to video share is because I can feel them. I can see them and I know if they're struggling. And they're going to get a call from me after the meeting because, you know, the health of our company depends on the health of our employees. And there's so much mental pressure on them. As leaders, we have to be aware, doing more, and kind of being prepared to support our workforce on a bigger level. It's not just about your work and getting work done. The health of those employees is important. And there's here's one example of the crazy that goes on for us. We uh, COVID hair is a thing, right? So one of the guys had really long hair. He looked like a hippie. We're giving him a hard time. Uh, so he joins one day with a headband on, a red, white, and blue headband. And cue my team, right? The next meeting, everybody's got red, white, and blue headbands. So we join, and we all are mimicking him with the red, white, and blue headbands. So the spirit of lightness, right? You have to do more than just lead and do the job. You have to make it a little bit light and connect people in a different way. I feel like leadership is the thing that that we've got to nail across the board. Awesome. How about you, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm looking at a li- probably a little bit more tactic, um, tactically in that now that we have the platform, we, you know, and I believe we were successful at delivering this platform. Now we're trying to get more out of it. So I think that the future for us is obviously um, maintaining that stability for sure, right? Um, making this a, um, you know, a solid service that everyone can trust. But now adding upon it, delivering all the new capabilities that Zoom releases on a, almost seems like weekly basis, right? How do we do that effectively? So that, you know, now we're stepping up to that challenge. How do we communicate and maintain that communication with our user base globally? The other thing that's come out of the woodwork for us are new ways to use the platform, API integration from a variety of different uh, areas. So now we're we're actually building, you know, some API management on so that users can get to Zoom, utilize Zoom, as well as the Zoom data, right, for various different processes. So it's really uh, using every aspect of the Zoom platform in the best way we can. Thank you. Um, definitely a hard thank you for myself. Speaking of leadership, um, we have definitely our leader. Um, Eric, I think you're here. You want to say a few words? Yes, thank you, Ryan. Yeah, first of all, I want to say, Jill and Kevin, thank you so much for your time. With customers like you, I can tell the life is great. We truly appreciate that for your support. Your advice, you know, always uh, try to help us and give us a feedback. I ju- we just cannot thank you enough. Thank you again for your time. Thank you. Thank you for being a great partner. Thank you.
All right. With that, I think we'll head over to our third part of the day um, for Q&A. If you want to go ahead, I think me, Kelly, and Eric, and there we are, a virtual. It's a quick switch. Yeah. And our first question will be from Itai Kidron with Oppenheimer. Uh, hi, guys. Uh, thanks for hosting the event. And, uh, again, thank you for being available in this last six months, uh, not only making work available, but my son's bar mitzvah was over a Zoom as well, a global event. And uh, so thanks for making that happen. Um, I do have a question, uh, Kelly. One of the slides that you uh, mentioned uh, was uh, talking about your penetration into the G2K accounts. And I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you talked about how only 12% of the G2K are $100,000 customers at this point, which on one hand uh, left me surprised. Uh, I mean, clearly this is a very big opportunity. On the other hand, how come they're not there already, right? So help me understand, um, first of all, do you think that all of the G2K uh, uh, customers, uh, companies can be $100,000? That's just from a big picture standpoint. And if so, um, what is taking them so long? Why is that so hard? What perhaps needs to change about your go-to-market in order to move them over? Thank you, Itai. I ask Brian these questions every day. No, I'm just kidding, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that one of the other stats that was on that slide, right, is that 54% of the global decay are spending $1,000 with us of ARR right now. And I think that's a great indication to show that there's interest there. They might be testing it but they haven't yet gotten to the point of a significant rollout. And absolutely, there's no reason that they can't all be spending $100,000 at some point in time. And this part of the reason that we started talking about this is because there's a huge initiative in the organization where we monitor every single week the progress that we're making towards the Global 2K. So Ryan and his team have a great dashboard where we look at the progress that we're making and so this is one of the key initiatives that we're driving to drive the sales team forwards and continue our expansion into the up market. Ryan, do you want to you add anything? No, I mean, I think right on, we've seen a lot of success there, but so much more to go. And one thing we do see is quite often to get a full deployment, it probably does come in a couple steps. You know, quite often you'll get a foothold in, you know, department or division of these extremely large companies. Um, prove the success through a pilot and then kind of grow through expansion. So depending on where you are and then, Honestly, you know, the product's amazing and that works fast. Sometimes the paperwork in the process is actually going through all the, you know, logistics of the company is one of the longest parts of the sales cycle with some of these extremely large companies. Is the availability of phones important in that type of a customer uh, tier? Say that again, is the availability of? Phones uh, important in that type of a customer tier? Yes, um, very much. I mean, lots of companies are looking for a unified communications or at least picking one to two platforms, kind of like you heard today, um, especially companies that size with acquisitions, they have a variety of different tools. So consolidating their communication, their video, their collaboration stacks to one platform or even quite often a couple, but having those be their primary or something that we're seeing quite a bit of. Very good. Thank you. Our next question is going to be from Brad Zelnick with Credit Suisse. Excellent. Thank you so much. And it's so nice to see everybody. Congrats on such an amazing event and all the innovation that we uh, are hearing about today. My first question is, I guess, for Graham, if he's still around, or Kelly, and then I have a follow-up for Eric. But but my question is on Zoom phone. You know, at, at this point, 
What does it take to to see accelerating adoption? And is it fair to think that the pandemic in and of itself is an obstacle for customers to deploy phones and, and even rooms in offices and that there could be pent up demand as economies eventually reopen? So, Graham, do you want to take that? I see he's here, but he might not. Yeah. Oh. If not, I'll do it. Yes, perfect. Go ahead, yeah. Graham. You're mute. Mute. Hey, Graham, I think you might have a physical mute button on. I can I can jump in real quick, Brad. Um, you know, a couple things. So yes, there's an opportunity for some pent up. I mean, part of it is getting the word out, which we're very aggressively working on. As you heard from the customers we just heard, um, we are seeing a lot of success with Zoom Phone. Um, you know, one thing I will say that changed a little bit with COVID is people understanding there's phone footprint, meaning whatever it was pre um, COVID, it might not be the same. And that's because a lot of workers worked in different ways than they had expected to. And people are also trying to understand what their future workforce looks like. You know, like, is it work from home? Is it remote? Is it a hybrid? Um, and in that, it is definitely an opportunity, but also getting down to those details has been something that we do see customers are trying to figure out as they're working through the Zoom phone journey. Okay, thank you. Um, I, I, and from the point of, of acceleration, I don't know if there's anything in particular. I know, Kelly, in the past you've talked about uh, China and India coming along, which I think we're still expecting by the end of this year. But is there anything else in, in particular that we think can be or we should look out to as a driver for accelerating phone adoption? Certainly, international availability has been one of the key hallmarks that you're, you're referencing and we've been talking to. So excited to say that as of today, we're in 43 markets and awesome. India and are still, yeah, still uh, on the list of the goal. Graham can update us if I'm wrong, but I think for targeting still for the end of the year. And um, that's really important. I think when you think about that goal, okay, the reason that's so important is because of the multinational customers that we have. They want, if they want to be able to do a full end-to-end native deployment, they, we need to be in all of those markets. So that's why we've been so excited and so focused on getting international availability as quickly as possible. Great. Yeah, Brad, just quickly to add on to what Kelly said. I think uh, when the industry or the, all the customers realized video and phone are the same thing, I think we will see the acceleration. Quite often people say, oh, this is a separate service phone. It's not. Video and phone are converged into one service. But similar to what we did before, when we did a Zoom, you know, the public will say, hey, what's the difference between this and other solutions? It's a huge difference because of architecture, right? That's why, you know, t- for some of the, the, the customers, after they test the Zoom, realize, wow, it's just a feature. It's just another way. To launch a Zoom meeting with a phone number as a shortcut. Eric, that's actually a good segue into my next question for you. Your approach to, to developing the technology was, you know, very innovative from the start uh, along many dimensions. And over the last couple of weeks, I believe NVIDIA recently announced Maxine. And I'm wondering your view on, on what this does, if, if anything, to democratize video conferencing for software developers and the impact of the overall video conferencing and communications market. 
Yeah, this is a great question, Brad. You know, back to the reason why we think of phone and video same thing, because we have a great customers like Jill and uh, Kevin. They give us feedback. They mention, a video is great. We already have voice. Why do I need to have another service? Right? That's an exact reason. Back to the media announcement. I can tell you tomorrow, I'm going to have a fireside chat with Jensen. And great. I think there, yeah, Jensen Huang, right, the CEO of uh, media. I think, uh, first of all, I think uh, they are the number one company in the artificial intelligence. And uh, their cloud GPU, the best of the best. I think we are going to talk about how to leverage that. But to scale your video conference like this, today we have 500 people in the video meetings. I think it's really hard to leverage the cloud. So that's why we need to, to talk about, you know, how to, you know, sometimes the computing should be done on the client side, sometimes should be done on the server side, and how to support this kind of a hybrid. There's a, there, you know, that's where the innovation comes, you know, from. But we are going to work it together with them, right? I think, uh, you know, let's see. You know, for now, it's too early to tell. Excellent. Thank you all so much. I truly appreciate it and uh, continue to have a great conference. Thank you, Brad. Our next question is from Sterling Auti with J.P. Morgan. Yeah, thanks. Hi, guys. So in terms of Zoom Phone, the large customers that have not yet adopted that I talk to, and I ask them what are some of the hurdles that you're looking at, the two things that they bring up is getting comfort with the stability of the platform, and then secondly, the management tools necessary to administer and manage a very large deployment. So my question is, what's on the roadmap to, to help those large customers get comfortable with those two issues? So, you know, let me take that. Stability, to be clear, you know, hasn't been an issue. And so that's just awareness and comfort and walking through with those customers. Um, and then on the management tools, you know, we're doing very rapid adoptions of, you know, tens of thousands, thirties of thousands, and being able to do that. Um, some of that historically, there's been you know, large professional services, you know, in that world. And we also are working through partners, which is part of that process where appropriate. So for people that do want a certain level of handholding or across different geographies or going into offices, whatever it may be, being able to offer our own or also being able to use partners. You know, that said, um, you know, one thing that's different about Zoom Phone is because of the platform that we've built it on and the scalability um, you know, using material professional services isn't the same requirement here as it is with many other um, platforms and services in the market. Got it. Thank you. And our next question is going to be from Walter Pritchard with City. Hi, thanks. Um, question, Kelly, for you and, and any thoughts Eric might have on on just how you're thinking about monetization of some of these new technologies. You know, for example, with OnZoom, there are you know, things there that are super high value, maybe, you know, worth more than somebody paying, you know, 15 or $30 a, a, a seat per month. So I'm curious how you're thinking about monetizing that. You've been foreshadowing this uh, this product, I think, for a while, but would love to understand what view it gives us into how you're thinking about monetization differently than in the past. Yeah, there's going to be a couple of different models attached to on Zoom. There's um, a portion of a rev share and also a way for the whoever's hosting it to generate tips as well. And we're in very early stages of this. So um, we don't expect to have it for it to have a material contribution now as we're just working on it, but we're excited about what it can look like in the future.
Thank you. Walter, just briefly to add on to what Katie said. First of all, thank you, City. Give the City a, a great award for being a great partner this morning. I think the thing about the, the on Zoom is part of the overall shared economy, something similar to what Uber and Airbnb offers. It's a knowledge sharing platform. That's why it's huge opportunity, I think. Okay. Meaning that has higher value. Knowledge has higher value than an interaction. Yep. Okay. Thanks. Our next question is going to be from Mita Marshall with Morgan Stanley. Great. Thanks. Um, maybe a question for Eric. You know, you seem to have kind of two parallel paths in feature development. You know, features that make the experience more like in person and features that make it more productive, whether that be translation and takeaways, et cetera. Like, what are your customers asking you for today um, going forward? And how do you kind of keep adding features on both of those parallel sets and still keep it easy to use? So that's a great question. So I think if not because of uh, pandemic crisis, I think uh, the journey is pretty complex because essentially we have three things right, in parallel, not a two. One is for our very important large enterprise customers. The second one is sort of those, uh, you know, online buyers or free users or, or consumers. The third is about developers. Essentially, we have a B2B, B2C, and a B2D. The good news because of this pandemic crisis, the line between working from home and working in the office tended to blank. That's why when we develop this product, Quite often, you know, the feature developer for, say, you know, uh, business uh, customers or large enterprise also can be applied to consumers as well and vice versa. And inside of that, I think number of important things, we got to spend time on talking with our customers and understand their pinpoint and solicit the feedback. And then we take those feedback back and then quickly develop some features like, the, you know, the features we announced, you know, uh, this morning. All of them, you know, we got a feedback from our installer base. That's why essentially you look at our, you know, engineer team. I would say it, I do not call that a three different team. It's still one team now. Got it. And then maybe just a follow-up question for Ryan. Just on, you know, you clearly have a brand that doesn't require a lot of channel presence, um, but channel is kind of important, uh, particularly with phone sales. So just how... Um, has thinking evolved on, on channel development, particularly in the U.S., you know, understanding you're building it out extensively internationally? Yeah, great, great question. But I'm, you know, a few things. The brand is very popular, as you know. Um, it definitely helps. At the same time, the market is was already big. And honestly, the recent times we've had has showed us that the market's even bigger than many of us all already thought. And so, and that's where channel partners come in. I mean, they have a different varieties of value. Um, but part of that is just there's so many customer potential customers and prospects to get to. How do we get there faster? And channel definitely helps with that. Um, quite often, I think, as you know, especially on the phone side, they probably bought that system or it's managed by somebody that was on the channel. And so leveraging those relationships, leveraging that knowledge, leveraging that service. Um, and that's globally in the U.S., of course, but especially in places you might go to like a Japan or Latin America, um, you know, other geographies where channel will play even bigger. It's playing a role everywhere, but even probably outsized in certain geographic markets. Great. Thanks, guys.
And my next question is going to be from Cash Rengen with Bank of America. Cash, you there? No worries. We have a backup. Uh, Nikolai Belyov with Bank of America. Hi. Thanks for taking our questions. Um, my first question is going to be around um, competition. We did an extensive UCAS survey recently, and surprisingly, Microsoft Teams came, came, came really strong. And we also heard from one of your panelists that they, they're using A5. Question both for Eric and, and Ryan. How do you protect yourself from Microsoft Teams sneaking up on you as more and more customers use E3 and, and, and E5? And, and, and how do you view your relationship with Microsoft Teams? You also clearly announced the integration uh, for Zoom phone with, with Microsoft Teams. You know, I can start, Ryan, feel free to chime in. I think, first of all, you know, given the, the, the Microsoft the history and the product portfolio, I think uh, almost every, you know, enterprise customers, for sure, they use something, right, from Microsoft. I think that's given. And plus, I think the Microsoft culture is getting much better after Satya, he took over the CEO position. And we are a very good partner in Microsoft. You know, quite often you look at some of our installed uh, the user base, and they deploy both teams and Zoom. The reason why is customers realized they wanted to deploy the best of a great solution. And the teams for IAM for file sharing or maybe next generation of a SharePoint, then Zoom specifically for video, for external meeting, large webinar, for the phone as well. Those two, those two work together very well. Right, that's why I think that also plus market is, you know, huge opportunity. You know, like two weeks ago, if you wanted to use a solution from one window for everything, guess what? If you have, if you have an outage, you know, you cannot work on anything. Your email is done, your, your office, everything is done, right? That's why customers, they like to have two solutions, especially for enterprise, you know, company. And again, I, Seriously, I really do not look at Microsoft as everyday think about they are our top competitor. We always think about how to partner more with Microsoft. That's our direction. And this is the question that Kash wanted to ask. Uh, what do you think of Zoom exhaustion and, and tools to rejuvenate uh, users? Ryan? Yeah, I'll, I had something we were talking about this the other day. I was in a... Um, a networking group with other chief revenue officers and you know most of them are zoom customers and they were joking about zoom fatigue and of course this this event was on zoom and you know we kind of joked and then one of the you know other CROs said well it's not really zoom fatigue that's not fair it's meeting fatigue um, and then I kind of joked back like it's really work fatigue I mean at the end of the day so it's not necessarily about the tool and Eric and is always innovative and his team will come up with creative things I think we saw something in the keynote today from Ariana Huffington kind of to step back um, you know, we see companies that are ending meetings on the 25 minutes or the 55 minutes and just doing little things because you, you're missing that maybe you kind of catch your breath between running from one conference room to another, even though you probably show up late. Um, you just kind of click from one to the next. Um, but I think some of that fatigue, it's probably not about the tool from at least where I come from. It's really about the work. It's just about our environment, which is kind of different for most of us and how we're adjusting to that. Thank you. Our next question is from Alex Kurtz with KeyBank. Yeah, thanks. Uh, another question for Ryan. You know, we often talk about Microsoft as as a competitor for a lot of obvious reasons, but uh, you know, Cisco doesn't come up much, right? But obviously, their share in the global 2000 is is dominant. 
And I just wonder, you know, where you are today relative to maybe a year ago as far as strategy about um, going into, you know, large Cisco accounts that buy 30, 40, 50 products and how you have the sales organization kind of navigate that process. Yeah, we're, we're pretty active on that one. Um, we do yeah. see a lot of success um, in those competitive engagements and that's, you know, from, you know, first off from a product, the innovation, the value that we're able to deliver. Um, that's also our people. Um, like Eric talked about, like, you know, caring, really understanding what customers want. Um, you know, how we try to differentiate, you know, we want to win on product, but we also want to win on people and process. Um, you know, are definitely some of the ways that we're seeing success. And then, you know, there was a question from Meta earlier about channel. That's another way. Um, you know, a lot of those companies have bought those products through channels. Um, a lot of those partners are also now working with Zoom. And it isn't, you know, only Zoom. You know, most partners, as you know, they will sell and have multiple products and services. Um, but as the Zoom brand has grown and Zoom success has grown, they definitely want to be part of that. And they don't want to be, you know, on the other side of that. And so what we're seeing is many partners from Cisco, but also many other places are now coming and at least adding Zoom to their portfolio to be part of the opportunity and the success that we're seeing and hope to have going forward. Thank you. Our next question is from Tom Roderick with Stiefel. Hey, Tom, you're on mute. You're on mute, Tom. Careful. And he's, uh, yeah, the safe driving mode. The, uh, the, the beauty of Zoom, you can do this from all over the place. So, uh, thank you for taking my question. I'm actually in the car. So we're doing this in real time. So thank you. This is great. Um, Eric, let me turn the, turn the question to you here. Uh, you know, getting a lot of questions about users with Zoom fatigue, but would love to hear a little bit more about, you know, how the, how your employees are working. Culture is so important to you. Tell us a little bit more about how the work from home environment is working, how you're collaborating, and how culture is uh, is sustaining at Zoom. Yeah, Tom, that's a great question. First of all, thank you so much for giving us a tour, <laughs> being a driver. <laughs> thank you. So yeah, over the past several months, I can tell you one thing. Looking back, I truly believe the company, the culture, and the value are the two most important things. If not because we invested a lot to accompany the culture and the value, I can guarantee you the service was already done for many, many times. So many, many outages already. A lot of employees might have quit already because it's just so much work, very hard work. And back in April and May, I, I mentioned it this morning, I had a more serious nights. The reason why is we had to add capacity, right? We needed to do so many things, right? Because we have a, huge jump in terms of traffic. And our employees, first of all, they all work very hard. Nobody complained. They all realize this is a great opportunity to have the world, to have people stay connected. Everyone works extremely hard. However, at the same time, for everyone to work from home for such a long time, indeed very difficult. Because, you know, like a new employee's orientation, that our employees' mental health, right, Sometimes anxiety, depression, indeed a big challenge. That's why we took a step back, really look at everything from our employee perspective, what we can do more. Right? To think about, you know, employees like hey, they can take PTO, no meetings, no internal meetings on Wednesdays, you know, uh, and we give the, the cash bonus, you know, some stock, a lot of things. I think this is a great, you know, the, the, the company 
I feel very proud of our employees. Like this morning, the Zoom topic, our marketing team worked so hard day and night. It's, it's perfect. It's prepared very well. You know, they're so passionate about the Zoom topic. That's why as the CEO of a company, I just feel very fortunate to have so many great teammates. Tom, the only other thing I'd add is just that um, we all know we're doing something important, especially at a time like this. And so people are definitely working hard, um, but we also feel that, you know, our customers, they're counting on us at the end of the day. And whether that be the learn, to educate, to socialize, whatever that might be. Um, and so there is definitely a feeling of, like, we need to be there um, for our customers, you know, to make sure that they're able to do the things they're trying to do, especially these days. Outstanding. Maybe I could ask one quick follow-up question just with respect to the global workforce. There's been, you know, a lot of talk um, and maybe some political pressure about where some of the traffic goes. You obviously have a fantastic R&D presence in China, uh, but would love to hear about, you know, where you think you can expand the R&D workforce and if there's any sort of political pressures that are forcing that expansion. Tell us a little bit more, Eric, about your thoughts on uh, the current R&D uh, geographic footprint and where you might take that going forward. Yeah. So first of all, our core technology, we have a core engineer team in downtown San Jose here. And also over the past several months, we announced we are going to hire more and more engineers in Pittsburgh and Phoenix. Right? And so we are going to double down on our engineer hiring here uh, in, in uh, headquarters as well. In addition to that, we also opened up a big office in Bangalore. A lot of the DevOps engineers, you know, business intelligence engineers also be hired, you know, there as well. Also, we just started to open up an office in Singapore as well. I think that given that everyone can work from home remotely, now I think give us a great opportunity. We can hire more and more engineers in other places. I think that's the best time. And that's why I think the risk is relatively, you know, very low. Even if we do have some engineers in other countries like China, here, you know, we are establishing a very, very good, very strict code review process. That's why we feel very com comfortable down the road, no matter where we are going to hire engineers anywhere. I think that's a trend. Almost every company, they got to hire engineers all over the world. Because you have great engineers, they do not live in Silicon Valley anymore. They can move to any other part of the world. They still can contribute. Outstanding. Thank you. appreciate it. Great job. Well, Tom. Thank you. <laughs> Matt, this is Tom McCallum. I just want to let everybody know, if you could just keep it to one question. We have a lot of people want to ask questions, and we want to keep moving along. I also want to point out that we uh, didn't put in our safe harbor about driving while Zooming, so um, our legal team does not agree with that. <laughs> uh, and our next question is going to be from Philip Winslow with Wells Fargo. Yeah, that was actually going to be my suggestion to add an accelerometer feature in there to stop Tom and Zoom. So maybe add that to the list. But, uh, you know, we heard a lot today about the synergy that you get with having Zoom video and Zoom phone together. I wanted to focus in on, on Zoom chat, too, because obviously, you know, one-on-one -on -one chats, your group sessions, you know, what is the, what, how do you think of a, a chat and sort of the, the full sort of unified communications uh, platform of Zoom going from a group chat to, to a phone session to a video all with one click? Yeah, so first of all, you know, look at it, our uh, customers see, you know, they, they moved from other solutions, Zoom solution like the phone, Zoom phone. Why sometimes before I call you, Phil, I want to send you a chat message. 
right? And it may start either video call or phone call. That's why we have to have that feature built in. We already have that for, for many, many years, but we did not talk about that much. The reason why is our chat is more like a UC-centric chat. You know, take this morning, like ExxonMobil, for example. They do use Zoom chat, you know, for video and voice and as well. I think at the same time, I think for, especially for, for engineers, for large, you know, enterprise customers, it's very hard to let them standardize on one platform. That's why we really interpret, integrate very well with Slack, with Teams. You know, we, we, we give a customer flexibility. When it comes to UC, we, our chat is specific UC chat. Customer like that experience, right? That's why I think we are taking a very open minded approach. We are not going to specifically say we want to build our own chat, you know, to compete against others. I do not think we, we need that because video and voice, that's our focus. Chat is part of that. The goal is to make sure improve our overall UC experience. Great. Thanks. Thank you, Phil. Our next question is from Heather Bellini with Goldman Sachs. Hey, Heather, are you there? Okay, no worries. Is that here? All right, cool. Our next question then is from Patrick Wallravens with JPM. Oh, great. Thank you. Um, hi, everyone. This is great. Eric Gigi says hi. Um, so my question is sort of what you mean, Eric, when you talk about a platform, right? So when, when you want, when you talk about how you want Zoom to be a platform, um, what's some of the functionality that's not in it today that you would like to see in it someday? That's a good question. First of all, I can tell you, your daughter has a lot of a huge fans at Zoom. They all yeah. love her. Yeah, I asked her if there's anything else that, that you guys need to work on. She said, no, tell him he's doing a good job. And he said, tell, tell him my friend Petra and I both think he's doing a good job. So no, you're good for the time. You're good for the moment. Thank you so much. You made my day today. Thank you. So back to the platform, we should believe ultimately it boils to two things. One is about the people, another about the, the, the product, right? Today we launched on Zoom. Essentially, that's the people part of the platform. Meaning everyone, they can, you know, especially for those knowledge workers, they can make a living on Zoom platform, right? You see, you know how to cook, right? You can be a great, you know, teacher of cooking class, right? You can make a living. Right? I can easily discover those events. That's why it's becoming a platform. Right? You can sell knowledge. You can share knowledge. That's why. On the product front, it's the day we announced, and, uh, you know, one is a customizable SDK. Right, yeah. you can leverage our API. You can embed Zoom into your application. That's a traditional SDK. We keep innovating on that front. Also, what's more important is that when Zoom it becomes a people-centric platform, take today's Zoom user interface for example, we can allow all other third-party applications embed their interface into Zoom interface. Within this interface, I can easily have a document document open it up. We can talk about that. We can send that. A box, a Dropbox. We have, uh, you know, an mental health app. This is not a part of a platform. It's a product-driven platform. So that's why I think when it comes to platform, I think that's a huge opportunity. We are going to tripling down on platform. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. 
The next question is from Alex Dugan with RBC. Thanks. Um, thanks, Ryan. And Eric, uh, Kelly, thanks again for, for doing what you do. Eric, I want to ask you a kind of similar vein question, but and, and work in a financial angle there as well. But if you think about, you know, you've successfully transitioned what many people thought was a commodity into a utility, and now you've launched both a marketplace and an app store at the same time. So, you know, dream the dream. There wasn't a lot about on Zoom or Zaps in the analyst state deck, but dream the dream for us because usually marketplaces and app stores can become as big as the product itself for a lot of companies. What do you think, how long does it take for us to see these two products really take off in a way where you start allaying some of the investor concerns, which is how do you comp this exceptional growth year that you've had during the pandemic? And, and this kind of for Kelly as an extension, when do we start and when do investors start seeing these or potentially start seeing these two products play into the growth and be a driver for growth incrementally for the business? Yeah, Alex, I can start. That's wonderful. That's a really question. So it, it begs to the, the uh, pro, uh, platform part. Essentially, today, you take a step back, look at, you know, our on Zoom news service, the people-centric, you know, the platform. And also our new Zaps. We truly believe the platform future is even much bigger opportunity. However, if you really think about those two, on the road, those two will be converged essentially the same thing. The reason why, when I teach, let's say, uh, a yoga class, I, I hold the uh, yoga class event, say 100 people register. And also within that Zoom interface, I can do so many things. I can embed all kinds of other, I can, you know, import a special customized virtual background. I can select a different applications as well. Essentially, those two are the same thing to offer a platform. I think it itself, I think it's video, video communication is just an app. A platform does unleash the huge power. I, we even don't know what the future look like because this is the, you know, huge opportunity. It's today, which I think we just launched that. It's too early to tell when and how we can capture that platform opportunity. Yeah, I agree, Eric. I think, Alex, in terms of the overall contribution, this is something that we would be, you know, prepared to at least give you some insight when we, at Q4, when we give FY22 guidance. That's the first time that I think we would even consider how overall these are contributing to the long-term growth of the company. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Alex. Our next question is from Matt Stotler with William Blair. Hey guys, thanks for doing this and thanks for taking the question. Um, just wanted to, uh, I guess, ask a, another question on the, the chat piece. You know, obviously, you know, starting with the, the strong video communication side, adding phone and then, you know, chat and, and kind of message based collaboration being the, the third piece of that. I thought the, the team SMS and MMS capabilities you guys talked about, um, in the keynote today were, were pretty interesting, especially with allowing transfers and what looked like persistent chat, you know, persistent group chat. So I'd like to better understand I guess how you think about the roadmap for um, uh, for the development in terms of message-based communication, and you know beyond that, maybe integrating into you know kind of systems of record or other business applications would be helpful. Yeah, yeah Matt. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, I think a chat is very important, you know, a functionality for our overall UC, you know, uh, portfolio because you know otherwise you have to use a certain 
other, you know, the chat functionality to launch a video call or launch a phone call. So, you know, first of all, I think that the core, I think that, you know, the top priority is still how to further improve the integration between chat, video, and voice. Make sure they're the same experience. That's one. Two is look at our positioning the chat feature. We already have a lot of uh, features. A lot of customers are also already using that. I think we are going to uh, priority, you know, invest more uh, in terms of priorities. One is more and more integrations like our Zaps, right? You know, I think we can do something similar as well, right? You know, Zaps can be used before the meeting, right? Can be part of a chat. That's one. Two is uh, is more like uh, integration with, you know, like with uh, Box, Dropbox, how to further you know, simplify that experience. More like, uh, you know, Zaps, but you see the user interface, right? And also another level integration more the backend side. I did not see the you know the user interface, but also more like AI based. You know, I want to see the the sales report. One click and get all the information. I think both from front and backend side integration with other applications. I think that's priority and for us to focus on down the road. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mike. Our next question is from Will Power with Baird. Hey, thanks. Yeah, I just want to come back to Zoom phone. This is probably for either, you know, Ryan uh, or, or Graham, perhaps. Uh, just as you think about the upmarket opportunity, it sounds like you're already generating nice success. But as you think about kind of 10,000 seat plus type organizations, or even anywhere above the 1,000 seat, you know, threshold, what, what are the barriers to even quicker adoption? Are there any feature sets that some of those biggest customers are still awaiting? Or is it more just about go to market, you know, feet on the street? You know, expanding international, and then and then part B of this is part of the same question, Tom. Uh, as you uh, you know think about you know that 23 billion dollar addressable market you laid out in 2024, what percent of that do you think you get to? You know, can you get to 25 percent? How do you think about that? Yeah, so William, I'd uh, I'd answer the question around up market with uh, we have been investing over the past year year and a half. Uh, around the needs of our enterprise customers uh, and helping around whether it be migration uh, issues that they may have or uh, specific feature sets. Uh, and so uh, I think a notable example, uh, knowing that a lot of our customers, they might do business in, you know, 150 different countries globally, uh, our bring-your-own carrier option, providing flexibility for them where we can provide native services in some countries, uh, you know, being the 43 that we have today, uh, but we can allow them to bring, you know, have a, an option to bring their own carrier in those other markets, providing tremendous flexibility. Or we even have some enterprise customers that have spent the last 10, 20 years building out uh, their footprint of PSTN connectivity. And so they can just, you know, replace their PBX with Zoom phone and still leverage that same investment that they have. So a lot of it has been in the flexibility of how we've designed and architected the solution, uh, as well as investments to allow for kind of simplified and seamless migration as they move because you don't flash cut 100,000 phones overnight. So allowing for seamless migration between the old to the new, I would say are kind of key areas that we've been investing in that have helped us see the success that we're seeing in the market space. Okay. Any thoughts on the ability to, to penetrate that $23 billion TAM in 2024? What, what do you think is achievable? What would you be disappointed if you didn't get to? Yeah, I, I guess I'll turn it over to Kelly on that one. But, uh, you know, I, I would just say that we see, you know, tremendous acceleration. I, I, you know, I did share, you know, a number of those statistics of kind of where we're at uh, with regards to, 
you know, over 500,000 seat, paid seats sold in the, in the past 12 months, uh, and the trajectory is, you know, very high. So, um, you know, definitely have, uh, you know, aspirational goals, but uh, we'll, we'll defer that to Kelly. Yeah, in terms of more specifics around Zoom phone and achievement, uh, we save those for the anniversary date. So we'll talk about that when we come up on the two-year anniversary of that. Thank you. Our next question is from Rishi Jaluria with DA Davidson. Hey, everyone here. Eric, Kelly, Ryan, really appreciate uh, uh, the time. And uh, definitely you've made the pandemic at least workable for, for, for many of us here. So really appreciate that. I uh, want to ask just one high-level philosophical question, which touches on stuff that's been said here and then and, and the keynotes and uh, the conference, which is around the, the future of work, right, Kelly, the topic of your, your part here. Um, just you know, we, we've seen a lot of different approaches from companies, some talking permanent remote, some talking hybrid, some like Dropbox talking virtual first. From from what you're seeing with customers, how are you thinking about how in a post-pandemic world, whenever that happens, what that nature of work is going to be and, and how you can help, you know, shape that, even shape that dialogue in the first place with, you know, as you can continue to expand your capabilities and continue to expand your features. Thanks. Eric, do you want to talk about that, or you want me to? Yeah, you go ahead. Thank you, Kate. Yeah. I, Rishi, I think one of the things that we've seen this morning that I was most excited about was the Zoom Rooms technology. I think what we've seen is that employees love the flexibility that we're getting in this environment. Employers want to keep their employees safe, and they've also seen it can be very effective. I think what everybody is concerned about is this has worked so well because – we're all at home right now, right? There's this clear, like I talked about in terms of democratization, right? When you look on the screen, we're all the same size. How do you keep that positivity, that sense of democratization when we start going back and some people might be in the office and some people might be working from home? And that's why I'm super excited about the technology that we're starting to see, which allows you to have the same experience, really. It's like I'm sitting at my sister's house, Right, but you're sitting in the office. How do we have that same experience? And that's really what people are striving for. And I think that's what Zoom and Eric and the team are striving for is to keep creating that so that we can have the best of both worlds coming together, which is what, what we're, I think we're moving towards. All right, great. Thank you. Our next question is from Richard Valera with Niam. Hi all. Uh, thanks for thanks for uh, taking my question and for for holding this great event so far. Um, so I have a couple part question on um, on Zoom. First, I haven't heard you put any kind of sort of number on that in terms of a TAM. Have you thought about the online event marketplace? How big that is today in a post COVID world, um, and how much maybe incremental TAM there is? I know the business model is evolving, but I was hoping you could take a crack at that. And then secondly, Kelly, I think in your prepared remarks. You said you thought on Zoom was particularly helpful to the sub-10 cohort. I'm just wondering how you think that could affect that cohort in terms of churn or monetization relative to historical levels. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Richard. So, you know, we're at early stages, as Eric said earlier, and I don't think anybody really understands what the potential of this is, especially since we're kind of still in the middle of this pandemic, what it looks like as we keep evolving to new ways of communicating and living and buying services, frankly. So we don't know what it is yet, but this is the area, you know, we've talked a lot about this cohort over the last couple of quarters as we've seen it grow dramatically from 20% to 36% of our business. And 
it was the area, frankly, that pre-pandemic, we didn't really focus on as much, right? We were focused a lot more on our enterprise customers and now really listening to them and trying to think about, we've talked about this, this disparate experience that, that consumers and also businesses have been having. And that's what on Zoom is trying to bring together now. So you don't have to go one place to like pay for your yoga class and another place to get your Zoom links, right? Starting to bring this all together and also create an opportunity for exposure of those experiences. And that's, that's what I think you're going to see how we're going to bring more value. We're just simplifying and streamlining the experience for both the consumer and the small business owners as well. And then I think you're going to continue to see expansion, not just small business users only using this platform, but big, um, awesome experiences that you're going to see in the future as well. Great. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Look forward to seeing that happen. All right, and we have time for just one more question, and that's going to be from Ryan McWilliams with Stevens. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for sticking me in. Hi, Ryan. So, you know, hey, so much has changed in a year, right? I mean, 80 billion annual run rate minutes last year to 3 trillion annualized this year. I mean, I would say that's quite the growth. Um, but Kelly, just on the long-term margins, uh, I think it's certainly unfair to make comparisons last quarter. But would you mind just adding a little more color on the change from 20% plus to 25? And then maybe what are the things to drive upside for the long term? Yeah, I think you know, we talked about this on the Q2 earnings call, but just as a reminder, the reason that the, the margins, the operating margin was so high in Q2 was due to that severe acceleration of revenue. And it happened more quickly than we were actually able to keep up from a hiring and a spending and investing perspective. But it's just not sustainable. You can you can ask Ryan, like his team has killed it. They've been amazing. I mean, our whole Zoom employee base has been doing everything they can to, you know, keep our product up and running, keep our platform stable, supporting our customers, our prospects. But we need to ensure that we're continuing to build that capacity for longer term growth and that we don't as Eric talked a lot about culture, right? We, we can't kill our employees in the meantime and we need to ensure that we're taking care of them. And and that's really why you're going to see an expansion of spending in, in sales and marketing and especially in R&D. R&D at 4% of revenue last quarter is, is frankly, it's just too low. We And that's why we're focusing on adding engineers in other locations so we can accelerate that hiring, diversify the town pool so we're not limited in that capacity. And those are some of the reasons that you're going to start to see that operating margin come down from you know, 40 plus to, we think, longer term, the 25 percentage. Thank you very much, Kelly. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. I hope you can enjoy some more of Zoomtopia. Just have a wonderful day. Thank, thank you, you all. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bye. Be careful, Thank you.